We're going to be learning in Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim HaLevi, the second piece in Hilchos Me'ila. This is Parak Ches Halacha Aleph. And Rab Chaim is going to develop a very important conceptual idea in the laws of Me'ila. In general, there's a distinction between ritual laws, like eating kosher or Shabbos, what we call Isurim, so the Torah prohibits certain behaviors, versus financial laws, what we call Mumminus, where the Torah prohibits taking other people's property. So those are two different categories in Halacha. Now, Me'ila straddles both, because on the one hand, it's the property of the Beis HaMikdash, so there's a prohibition involved with using the property of hektish. On the other hand, it's also a financial issue because someone is benefiting from property which is not theirs, which belongs to the Beis HaMikdash. So that seems no different than using another person's property when they don't want you to, which is called stealing. So there's a discussion amongst the commentators whether Mi'ila reflects a financial law, it's stealing from the Beis HaMikdash, or it's a ritual law that it's prohibited to use the property of hektish. So Rab Chaim is going to come down strongly on the side that it's a financial problem. The Rambam rules in a case of a worker that's hired by the Beis HaMikdash to work with Hektish. So in general, the Halacha is clear that if someone hires a worker, they have to allow them to eat from the food that they're working with. But in the case of Hektish, it's different because what they're working with is Hektish, so they're prohibited to eat it. So the Rambam rules, Workers who are working with Hektish, even though the Beis HaMikdash agreed to feed them lunch when they hired them, they should not eat the hektish food. And if they do eat the food of hektish, so that's me'ila. Rather, the Beis HaMikdash should give them lunch money and then they can use that money to go buy regular food. So the Rambam rules that even though the Beis HaMikdash owes these workers food, they still cannot eat from the hektish food. And if they do eat that hektish food, even though it's owed to them on some level, that's still a violation of me'ila. Now, similarly with an animal, it's the same thing. Adosh karshine hegdish, an animal which is threshing a vegetable of hegdish. Hareza chosem asapara, so he muzzles the cow. Even though in general it's prohibited to muzzle the animal, it has to be able to eat from the food that it's working on, but hegdish is different. Shnem alosachsum sharbedisho, you can't muzzle a cow in its threshing, but that's daish haroilo. That's only when the food is fit for the cow to eat. But hektish, which the cow shouldn't be eating anyways, so there you are allowed to muzzle the cow that's working on hektish. Now the source for this interpretation that the Torah is excluding an animal working on hektish, that it could be muzzled, comes from the Gemara in Me'ila Daf Yud Gimel. And there is another source in the Gemara that the workers also cannot eat from the hektish food. The Rambam in Hilchus Chirus, Perak Yud Beis, Alacha Hey, quotes this, The workers in hektish can't eat it because the Torah says that the workers have to be able to eat the kerem re'echa in the vineyard of their friend, but hektish is not their friend, so there's no obligation for them to be able to eat the hektish. And that comes from the Gemara in Bavmetzia, daf pei zayin. Now, Tosus in Bavmetzia has a question, which is, why does the Gemara need another interpretation in order to exclude the workers from eating from hektish? We should be able to derive that from the fact that the animal can't eat from hektish, because the Gemara in Bavmetzia on Peites compares the person to the animal with regards to the halacha that after the food is processed, they can't eat it. So we see that 
see that the Gemara compares the people workers to the animal working. So why can't we use that same model here too? Once we know from the Gemara and Me'ilah that the animal working on hektish is not able to eat the hektish produce, so the same should apply also to the people working on hektish. So why does the Gemara and Bamitzia need a new derivation of that from the Pasuk of Bekerem Re'echa? Why can't we just learn it out from the fact that the animals are already excluded from Los Achsom Shor Bedisho? That's Tosis' question in Bab Metziah. So to answer this question, Rab Chaim suggests that the eating of the workers and the animals is conceptually very different, even though the Gemara compares them on a practical halachic level, but the concept behind each of those halachas is totally distinct. And the way he formulates this is that the halacha that the person worker has to be able to eat the food is a financial obligation. The worker actually has a financial right to eat some of the food that that they're eating, and if the owner prevents them from eating the food, so that's a form of theft. Now, Rab Chaim points out that the Gemara Bab on Tzadi Bezamed Aleph uses the phrase that Michel Shamayim Hu Ochel, that the worker is eating from heaven. So that sounds unlike Rab Chaim, that it's not a financial obligation, but it's a ritual, it's a mitzvah that the owner has to allow the worker to eat from the food. So that seems to go against Rab Chaim's description of it. But Rab Chaim explains that that line doesn't contradict his idea because what the Gemara means, as it says explicitly there, is that the worker can't send the food that he would have eaten home for his wife and children. So let's say the worker says, I don't want to eat my lunch while I'm working, but I do want to send it home for my family. So he can't do that because the Torah gave him the right to eat, but it didn't transfer that right to his family. So what the Gemara really means to say is that the owner doesn't owe him money as in a debt that he can choose to hand off and send over to his family, but rather the owner has to let him and him alone eat the food. But if he doesn't want to eat it, then he has no more claim against the owner. But either way, it's a financial right that the worker has to be able to eat from the food that he's working with, and the owner can't prevent him, otherwise that would be theft. And the proof for this, says Rab Chaim, is because the Gemara in Sanhedrin Nun Zayin, according to Rashi, and the Rambam records this halacha in Hilchus Malach and Parak Tess, they rule that a non-Jew who's working in another non-Jew's field has the same right to be able to eat the food that he's working with. Now, a non-Jew is not obligated in the mitzvahs of the Torah, but they are prohibited to steal. That's one of the Sheva mitzvahs B'nai Noach. So the fact that a non-Jew is also obligated in letting his workers eat from the food shows that it's not a mitzvah, because if so, a non-Jew would not be included in that, but rather it's a form of theft if he does doesn't allow the workers to eat there. The Torah said that one of the rights that workers have is to eat from the food they're working with. So therefore, it applies also to non-Jews. So according to Rab Chaim, the rule that a worker can eat the food he's working with is a purely financial halacha, just as the Torah regulates the laws of ownership and theft. So part of that is that the Torah regulates that workers must be able to eat the food that they're eating from. Now, this is very different than the animal, which also has to be able to eat. You can't muzzle the animal from the food that it's working with. But that is a mitzvah. That's a ritual law. It's not a financial law. And Rab Chaim has two proofs to this. 
First is that a person can't muzzle their own animal. Now, an animal does not have a financial claim against their own owner because that person owns the animal. So the fact that the animal's owner has a mitzvah to let the animal eat from the food that it's working with indicates that this is a mitzvah, but it's not a financial right that the animal or the animal's owner has. The second proof is that this halacha does not apply to a non-Jew. So the Gemara Ba Metziah Daftzadi says that if a non-Jew is working the animal of a Jew, he is allowed to muzzle it because the halacha of not muzzling the animal doesn't apply to a non-Jew. So again, as Rab Chaim set it up earlier, non-Jews are not obligated in mitzvahs, but they're not allowed to steal. So if this was a financial law, then the non-Jew would have to allow the animal to eat. The fact that the non-Jew doesn't have that mitzvah means that it's a ritual law and therefore it doesn't apply to non-Jews. Now Rab Chaim comes back to the tosos that he began with on Bamitzia but to a different point in that Tosfos. Tosfos raises another question there, which is why do we need an exception to say that a worker cannot eat hektish when that should be obvious because it's me'ila? So of course the worker is not able to eat the hektish food. What would have been our thought to begin with that he could violate the prohibition of me'ila and eat the hektish food that he's working with? So Tosfos answers that we would have assumed that a worker is allowed to eat food even if it's it's a prohibition like Meila, because anyways, he's allowed to eat another person's property, which is gezel, theft. So the very essence of this halacha, that a worker is able to eat the food, according to Tosvos, indicates that he's able to violate prohibitions of the Torah in order to do so, because the whole concept to begin with is a case where he's eating someone else's food. So that's normally gezel, and here the Torah allowed it because he's a worker. So we would have thought the same thing about Meila, that even though in general it's a total prohibition to eat the food of hektish, but a worker is allowed to violate the prohibition of me'ila just as he's able to violate the prohibition of theft. So that's Tosus' theory that in general the halacha that a worker can eat the food goes so far as to say even when it's prohibited to the worker. Now Rab Chaim asks a question on this theory because the Gemara Ba'metziah Tzadi Beis says that if the worker is a Nazir, he cannot eat from grape foods. So that indicates, unlike Tosvos, that we don't allow prohibitions of the Torah in order for the worker to eat. Because here, since he's a Nazir, he's not able to eat prohibited foods for a Nazir like grape even though he's a worker. So again, that goes against Tosus's idea. Similarly, on Daftsadi, the Gemara says that a worker cannot eat Meiser Shani outside of Yerushalayim. So again, this goes against Tosus's idea that a worker is able to eat things even if they're prohibited because we don't suspend the prohibition of Meiser Shani for the worker to be able to eat. And in fact, Tosus himself raises this issue. Why shouldn't the worker be able to eat the Meiser Shani since we would have assumed that he can eat hektish if not that the Torah had excluded it from Re'echa? So why shouldn't we make that same assumption that the worker can also eat Meiser Shani? So Tosus himself raises this issue on Daftzadi. So Rab Chaim says that in truth, there's a key distinction between the prohibition of Nazir and Meiser Shani versus Gezel. Because when the Torah said that the worker is allowed to eat the owner's produce, it's not saying that he can violate the prohibition of Gezel. The way the Torah is formulating it is that since he is allowed to eat the owner's produce while he's working with it, it no longer is Gezel. So the Torah is removing the entire prohibition of Gezel in this case because the Torah is giving him permission to eat the food of the owner. As opposed to the Meiser Shani and the Nazir, where the prohibition still remains. The Torah never said that there's no prohibition of Nazir 
or Meiser Shani for a worker. So if the prohibition remains, there's no reason to think that the worker would be able to violate it. So the basic rule is that the worker cannot violate any prohibitions in order to eat. But when he's eating the owner's property, which would ordinarily be considered gazelle, in this case, there's no prohibition because the Torah removed the prohibition by allowing him to eat. So now we're back to Tosus's question on Pezayin Amad Beis. If there's no special exception that workers are able to violate prohibitions of the Torah in order to eat, then why would we think that the worker is able to eat hektish? That's a violation of me'ilah. So according to Rab Chaim's theory that the Torah never suspends any prohibitions, it only allowed eating the owner's property because it's no longer gezel. So why would we ever think that the worker is allowed to eat hektish since that is a prohibition of me'ilah? So why does the Torah need to exclude it from kerem re'echa since it should be obvious, just like the Nazar and the Meiser Shani? So in order to answer this, Rab Chaim's going to argue that eating hektish, the violation of me'ilah, is a form of gezel. So in the two categories of Nazir and Meiser Shani, which are rituals, versus Gezel, which is a financial law, Me'ila belongs in the category of financial laws, like Gezel. So that's why we would have thought that just like Gezel is suspended in the case of the worker, so too there's no Me'ila in the case of someone hired by the Beis HaMikdash. So that's going to be Reb Chaim's next step. Now in order to argue that Me'ila is a form of Gezel, so Reb Chaim's going to bring a number of proofs to this idea that Me'ila is not a ritual. It's a form of stealing from the Beis HaMikdash because that's not totally clear. And the commentators disagree about this, as we'll see after this piece. There's some who hold that Me'ila is a ritual law because a person is benefiting from the property of the Beis HaMikdash, which is sanctified. So that could easily have been a ritual. But according to Rab Chaim, the problem with Me'ila is that he's stealing from the property of the Beis HaMikdash. He has no right to use it, just like if it's someone else's property. So by using it, he's stealing from it. So in order to prove this point, Rab Chaim is going to offer a number of proofs. The first is from the language of the Gemara itself in Me'ila Yudches. The Gemara defines the word Me'ila Ein ma'al el as meaning changing something from its intended use. So the Gemara seems to define the essence of me'ila not as using something which is sanctified, which would be a prohibition, but as using something in a way that it's not supposed to be used, which is a form of theft. So the very essence of how the Gemara defines me'ila seems to indicate that the problem is a financial one, not that they're using something sanctified. Next, the halacha is that the prohibition of me'ila has to be a shava pruta. So a person has to benefit the minimum currency in halacha, which is the worth of a pruta. So there's a minimum value to how much they have to benefit in order to violate this prohibition. And as a result of that, there's also no time limit. So in general, when it comes to prohibitions, they have to be done, the minimum measurement, in a certain amount of time. Otherwise, the person doesn't violate the prohibition. Let's say someone ate a little small piece of non-kosher meat, and then six months later ate another little small piece, we're not going to combine it. But since me'ila is not a measurement of how much they have to eat, but it's a financial measurement that it has to be a shave pruta, so even if they do it in a long time span, we still combine it all together. And in addition, we combine two different people's eating. 
So let's say he ate half of the measurement and then he gave his friend half of the measurement. We combine all of that together and he violated Me'ilah. So according to Rab Chaim, all of this is totally different from the way regular Isurim prohibitions work because in general, it's not a Shavet Pruta. It's not a financial measurement. It's an amount that has to be eaten or benefited from and it has to be within a specific time span and it also can't be two different people. It has to be the same person. So the fact that the criteria for violating Me'ilah is so different and in all of these cases the person violates Me'ilah indicates according to Rab Chaim that Me'ilah is not a prohibition of Isurin. The punishment is not because a person benefited from sanctified objects but rather it's Gezel, it's theft. The person used property which does not belong to them, it belongs to the Beis HaMikdash. So that's why the criteria for violating this prohibition are the same as when someone steals something from someone else. We combine two different people, it's a financial measurement, and it doesn't matter over how long a time span it occurred. So now putting Rab Chaim's two points together... A, that the worker's right to eat food is a financial obligation and that the violation of Me'ilah is a theft prohibition. So putting this together, we now understand why we would have thought that a worker is able to eat hectish because since he has a financial right to eat the food he's working with, that should remove the prohibition of Me'ilah, which is just a prohibition to steal from hectish. But in this case, the worker has a right to eat this food, so there should be no prohibition of Me'ilah, just like there's no prohibition of theft when he eats from a private owner. So that's why Me'ilah is parallel to the theft prohibition, that since the Torah removed that prohibition when it said that the worker has a right to eat from the owner's property, so the same should be true that the worker hired by the Beis HaMikdash has the right to eat from the Beis HaMikdash's property, even though it's hectish. So that's why we would have thought that the worker is able to eat it, if not that the Torah had specifically excluded it from Karim Reyecha. So from there we learn that a worker for the Beis HaMikdash is not able to eat hectish for lunch. But this is totally different from the prohibitions of Nazar and Meiser Shani, where again there would have been no reason to think that the worker is able to eat it, because since those are Isurin, so the Torah never suspended Isurin for the worker to be able to eat. So that's why it's clear in those cases that the worker is not able to eat grape products if he's a Nazir or Meiser Shani outside of Yerushalayim. So now that Rab Chaim had this whole discussion, now he returns to the first question of Tosos that he began with, which is why does the Gemara need to explicitly exclude a worker from eating hektish if it already excluded the animal from eating hektish? Why don't we just learn out the person worker from the animal? So now, says Rab Chaim, based on his distinction between the person and the animal, that the worker has a financial right to the food, whereas the animal has a mitzvah to be able to eat, So it's clear that the only possible idea that the worker should be able to eat hektish if he's hired by the Beis HaMikdash only applies to a person. But it in no way applies to the animal because the animal has no financial right to eat from the Beis HaMikdash. So even if hektish hires an animal, there's no reason to think that the animal should be able to benefit from hektish because the animal has no financial right to lunch. It just has a mitzvah to be able to eat the food. 
food. But as we said, the prohibitions of the Torah are not suspended in order to allow the animal to eat. So the same would be true of hektish, and that's obvious. As opposed to the person where there's a much stronger argument to be made that he should be able to eat hektish because he does have a financial right to eat food. And since the whole problem of me'ila is theft, that wouldn't apply in this case. So that's why the Gemara needs a specific pasuk to teach us that the person is not allowed to eat hektish, even though they are allowed to eat a private owner's food. They're not able to eat the Beis Mikdash's food, but we need a special pasuk to exclude the person. We can't learn that out from the case of the animal because the person and the animal are so different. The person has a financial right to the food as opposed to the animal where there's just a mitzvah. So that's why we're not going to be able to learn out the person from the animal with regards to not being able to eat food of hektish. So now the obvious question is why not just exclude the person and then we'll know to exclude the animal. We don't need a special pasuk for the animal because if even the person that has a stronger right to eat from hektish is not allowed to, then certainly the animal is not allowed to. So in order to answer that, Rab Chaim introduces another conceptual formulation and he explains that when the Torah excluded a worker from eating hektish from Kerem Re'echa, the vineyard of your friend, whereas hektish is not your friend, it doesn't mean that there's no mitzvah for the worker to be able to eat. It just means that he doesn't have the financial right to be able to eat. So again, back to Rab Chaim's two categories, usually a person has the right to eat the produce, whereas an animal just has a mitzvah to be able to eat. So that's exactly now what the Torah is telling us, that when it comes to hektish, there is no right, even for the person, all there is is a mitzvah for them to be able to eat. So that mitzvah to be able to eat the produce, they're not able to fulfill when it comes to hektish produce because it runs up against the problem of me'ila. And as Rab Chaim's been developing throughout, we do not suspend prohibitions in order for the person to be able to eat. The only reason the worker could have eaten me'ila is because he has a financial right to eat it. But now the Torah is saying that when it comes to the produce of hektish, the person loses the financial right aspect. So all they're left with is a mitzvah to be able to eat, but that they're not going to be able to do when it involves me'ila. So Rab Chaim is very cleverly applying the concepts that he's been developing to explain what the Torah is trying to say when it excludes hektish from this rule. And his explanation is that the Torah is saying that someone hired by the Beis HaMikdash has no right to eat the produce, even though they still do have the mitzvah to be able to eat the produce. And Rab Chaim has a brilliant proof to this, because if we're going to say that the person loses the whole mitzvah when they're hired by hektish, then the same thing should be when they're hired by a non-Jew. Because we always say re'echa excludes a non-Jew as well. So if the whole halacha only applies to kerem re'echa, then if a non-Jew hires a Jewish worker, the worker should not have a mitzvah to be able to eat. So Rab Chaim's formulation solves this problem that even though Kerem Re'echa does exclude a non-Jewish owner as well, a non-Jew who hires a Jewish worker is included in the same exception as Hektish, but that only excludes him from the worker having a financial right, not from the mitzvah to eat. So that's how we include a non-Jewish owner. As well as there's a 
another argument here, which is a kalvachomer, that if a Jewish owner is obligated to allow his workers to eat the food, then certainly a non-Jewish owner is as well. So that's a kalvachomer that we apply in halacha. So here too, that would be a reason to say that a Jew working in a non-Jew's field is able to eat the food. So that's Rab Chaim's analysis of how to formulate the exception of a worker eating hekdish food. Now, if we apply that back to the case of the animal, so that doesn't apply in any way to the animal because as we said, the animal has no right to eat the food. There's a mitzvah not to muzzle the animal. So the fact that we excluded the person that when they're hired by hekdish, they have no more financial right to the produce is not going to change the animal in any way because they never had a financial right to the food to begin with. All they had was a mitzvah and that was not excluded when it came to a person. So this explains exactly why even though we excluded the worker from being able to eat hektish, it's not going to teach us that an animal could be muzzled because with the animal, it's a totally different idea that since there's a prohibition to muzzle the animal, so we would have assumed that hektish is also included in that prohibition. So that's why the Torah needs to exclude D show that it doesn't apply to sanctified food. So that's why we can't learn out the person from the animal or the animal from the person because the exception that you can muzzle an animal for hectish food is learned out from D show only when it's his own produce but not the produce of hectish. So that's not going to apply to a worker where he has a right to the food so there we would have thought that he is able to eat from hectish. And the exception for a person which is Karim Re'echa and hectish is not your friend so that just means the worker loses the right to the food financially, but they still have a mitzvah to be able to eat. But that's not going to change the status of the animal where it's anyways a mitzvah. So that's why we need both Disho and Karim Re'echa. We need an exception both for the worker and the animal to say that neither of them is able to eat the food of Hektish. So now in the third paragraph, Rab Chaim makes the point that even if it were true that the prohibition of Me'ila is because of Isurin, not because of stealing from Hektish, so a financial prohibition. So unlike he's been arguing throughout this piece, that Me'ila is essentially a form of stealing from Hektish, even if the alternative is correct, that Me'ila is a ritual prohibition, it still wouldn't change his basic analysis because the criteria for determining what's considered Me'ila is certainly financial. In other words, we have to know who the owner of this item is in order to determine whether there's Me'ila. So even if the problem of Me'ila is because someone is benefiting from sanctified objects, but the only way we would be able to determine that is by saying that the Beisamikdash owns it. So again, Me'ila is going to be dependent on the laws of ownership, which brings us back to Rab Chaim's analysis that Me'ila is more similar to Gezel than it is to other prohibitions. So basically, Rab Chaim's answer to Tosus's question is not dependent on saying that Me'ila is a form of stealing from Hektish, even if it's a ritual Isur, it's still going to work. But Rab Chaim says the truth is that Me'ila is Gezel Hektish, it's stealing from Hektish, so it's not prohibited because of Isurin, it's prohibited in the realm of financial law, and again, that's based on the proofs that Rab Chaim suggested earlier. Now Rab Chaim turns to use this idea that Me'ila is stealing from Hektish to answer a question of Tosos and Kiddushin Mem Gimel. The Gemara there is discussing Ein Shliach Ledvar Avera, if one person sends a messenger to go do a sin, the original person does not get punished because the messenger should not have listened to him. So the messenger is responsible for the sin that he does. So the Gemara records the 
view of Shammai who disagrees with this, and he thinks that the person who sent them does get punished, we say Yesh Shliach Lidvara Veira. But there is an exception. The Gemara records that if someone tells a messenger, go have prohibited relations or eat prohibited foods, so then certainly the messenger gets punished and not the sender. And the way the Gemara explains this is Shalomatsinu Bekola Torah Kula We never find anywhere in the Torah that one person has benefit and someone else is responsible, gets punished for it. So since the messenger is the one who had the prohibited relations or enjoyed the prohibited food, so he has to be responsible. He has to take the punishment. We can't punish someone else for his benefit. So basically the Gemara articulates a principle that if someone benefits from a sin, they have to be punished for it. We can't punish someone else on their behalf. So Tosvos asks, what about the case of Me'ila? Because the halacha is that yesh shliach lidvar avera, if the gizbar, the treasurer of the Beis Hamikdash, tells someone to go and eat something which is hectish, and the messenger doesn't know that it's hectish, so he goes ahead and eats it. So the gizbar, the treasurer who sent him, is responsible, and he gets punished for me'ila. So here we do have a case where one person is benefiting by eating this item, and another person who sent them is being punished. So Tosos answers that me'ila is different because the gizbar is not being punished because the messenger ate the food. Because as soon as the messenger picks up the food, he already acquires it. So at that point, it left the ownership of the Beis HaMikdash. And that's when he violated Me'ila. But at that moment, he didn't enjoy anything. So when he picks it up is the violation of Me'ila for which the Gizbar is responsible. But at that moment, there was no benefit to the messenger. So that's why this case works, even according to the principle of the Gemara, that if one person benefits, they have to be responsible because the violation of Me'ila in the case of a messenger does not happen at the moment when the messenger enjoys it. It happens a few minutes earlier when he lifted it up and took it out of the ownership of the Beis HaMikdash. So that's Tosus' explanation for Me'ila, that at the moment of the violation of Me'ila, there is no pleasure for the messenger. So now when the Rambam rules this halacha at the beginning of the seventh chapter of Hilchos Me'ila, so he records it a little differently than Tosvos. He records the basic halacha that if the sender tells the messenger to go take Me'ila, the sender is responsible, assuming the messenger did exactly what he was told to do, because we hold yesh shliach lidvar avera when it comes to Me'ila. That's the exception to the general rule of ein shliach lidvar avera. But if the messenger did anything on his own, so he changed the instructions that he was given, so then he's also responsible for this violation. And now the Rambam clarifies the Medvar Mamurim that this whole halacha applies for Kadshe Bedeka bias. But if we're talking about Basar Ola, so the meat itself is sanctified and the person goes ahead and eats from it, so now not only have they violated Me'ila, they've also violated the prohibition against eating meat which needed to be burned on the Mizbeach. So since there's an additional prohibition in this case, in addition to the violation of Me'ila, so therefore says the Rambam, we say Ein Shliach Lidvar Avera. We only say that Yesh Shliach Lidvar Avera when it's a pure case 
case of me'ila and only me'ila. But once there's another prohibition involved, like eating the meat of a carbon which needed to be burned, so then we revert back to the general rule of ein shliach vera. So in this case, the messenger would be punished and not the sender. Now, Rab Chaim points out that obviously the case of the Rambam is when he ate it, not when he lifted it up, because he says there's a special violation for eating the meat of the Ola, which needed to be burned on the Mizbeach. Now, there's no violation for lifting up the meat of the Ola. So the Rambam's case must be talking about where he's eating the meat, not like Tosos explained the case where he lifted it up. And still, the Rambam says that it would have been Yesh Shliach Lidvaravera when it comes to Me'ila. In this case, it happens to be an exception to the general rule of Me'ila because there's another prohibition of eating the meat of the carbon. So there we apply the general rule of Ein Shliach Lidvaravera. But the implication of the Rambam seems very clearly unlike Tosvos, that if the only problem here was Me'ila, even though we're talking about where the messenger ate the food and that was the violation of the Me'ila, the sender would have been punished. So we're back to Tosvos's question, what about the principle in the Gemara that we never have a case where one person is benefiting and the other person gets punished? According to the Rambam, the case of Me'ila is precisely that case. The messenger is enjoying the food, whereas the sender is the one who's going to be punished. So how does the Rambam answer Tosus's question from the Gemara? Says Rab Chaim, the way he defined Me'ila, so this is going to answer Tosus's question according to the Rambam. Since Me'ila is not a prohibition, it's not Isurim, it's a problem of theft, so that of course applies even if the messenger is enjoying eating the food, still the fact that the sender is responsible for the theft means that he gets punished. So the principle of the Gemara that we never have a case where one person benefits and someone else gets punished applies to Isurin. There we cannot say that one person is responsible for the violation of another person who enjoyed what they did. So in the realm of Isurin, if the messenger enjoyed the sin, so the fact that he was made a messenger is now null and void. He's responsible for what he did and the sender is not going to be responsible. That's the idea of the Gemara that when it comes to Isurin, we cannot say that that if someone tells someone else to go enjoy a sin, that the person who's enjoying it is not responsible. But when it comes to theft, so of course that operates differently. There, if someone tells someone to go steal property, even if the messenger is enjoying it, but at the end of the day, the sender is the one responsible for the theft, so he's going to be responsible. So that's why when it comes to Me'ila, it operates differently because it's a matter of theft from Hektish. So even if the messenger enjoys himself, we would still say, the sender is responsible, and that answers Tosus's question from the Gemara in Kiddushin. So Rab Chaim very nicely plugs in this whole idea that Me'ila is theft of Hektish to explain how the Rambam will answer Tosus's question without having to say that the case of Yeshliach Lidvaravera for Me'ila is when the person lifted it up, but they didn't eat the food. According to the Rambam, it is when they ate it and enjoyed it, but still Me'ila is a different category from Isurin, so there is a Shliach Lidvaravera because it's a matter of theft. So now in the fourth paragraph, Rab Chaim asks a question on his whole approach because the way he's formulating this halacha that you can muzzle the animal working for hektish, it's not because we thought that there was no violation of me'ila. So the Torah came along and said there is a violation of me'ila. Rab Chaim explained that of course there's a violation of me'ila, but we would have thought that there's a different prohibition to muzzle the animal. So that's what the Torah had to tell us that there's no prohibition to muzzle 
the animal. And that's how Rab Chaim explained the whole concept of not muzzling an animal. It's not that the animal has a right to the food, so when it's working with hektish, there wouldn't be me'ila, but rather there's a mitzvah to let the animal eat. So that should have applied also to hektish, even though there still would be me'ila. So what the Torah is telling us is not that there's still me'ila in this case, but that there's no prohibition to muzzle the animal in this case. So if so, says Rab Chaim, why is the Rambam recording this halacha in Hilchos Me'ila, which deals with the halachas of when Me'ila applies, why didn't the Rambam record this halacha where it belongs in Hilchos Schirus, which are the labor laws? So that's where the Rambam discusses the halachas of muzzling an animal. So this exception actually belonged over there. So the commentators of the Rambam always put a lot of emphasis on the organization. The Rambam was very careful with where he put halachas. So one of the ways of deciphering the Rambam's meaning is to see the context that he puts it in. So Rab Chaim is raising the issue that the Rambam records the leniency of muzzling an animal from hektish in the laws of Me'ila, which indicates that it's teaching us something about where and when Me'ila applies, but he does not record it in the laws of Schirus, which would have indicated that it's teaching something about when the laws of muzzling animals applies. And according to Rab Chaim's analysis, that's not correct because the actual point of that halacha is about the muzzling of the animal, not about whether there's me'ila or not. So this is a question on Rab Chaim's approach to explain the Rambam. So in order to answer this question, Rab Chaim refines his earlier formulation of this idea, and he says that we can't say it as strongly as he had said it earlier, that when it comes to the animal eating hektish, there was no possibility of there not being me'ila. The only issue was whether there's the prohibition of muzzling the animal, and that's what the Torah is saying doesn't apply to hektish, that's not going to work because as Rab Chaim just said, that halacha would have belonged in Hilchos Schirus. So the fact that the Rambam codifies this halacha in Hilchos Me'ila means that there must have been a possibility that the animal could have eaten the hektish produce, if not that the Torah explicitly prohibited that. So how could we formulate the possibility that an animal is allowed to eat the hektish produce if, as Rab Chaim said earlier, the animal has no right to the produce and the hektish produce is prohibited under Me'ila and in general we do not suspend prohibitions for the workers or the animals to eat? So how could there have been a possibility that the animal is able to eat the hektish produce? So Rab Chaim explains that obviously the animal itself is not prohibited in Me'ila. The prohibition only applies to people. So this animal is not included in the prohibition of me'ila. The problem with the animal eating the hektish produce is that something which belongs to hektish should not be eaten by an animal. So there's a sort of separate problem here. It's not exactly me'ila. It's something related that since this is an item of hektish, an animal should not be eating it. So that's why we would have thought that since there's a mitzvah not to muzzle the animal, in this case, it is able to eat the produce, even though it's hektish, because again, there is no direct violation of me'ila. It's a lower category that the animal should not be eating hektish produce. So since there's a mitzvah not to muzzle the animal, that's more important and we don't muzzle the animal and it could eat the hektish produce. So that's how we would have thought. And therefore the Torah had to explicitly tell us that the animal should be muzzled and it does not eat the hectish produce. So 
now, says Rab Chaim, even using this formulation, we could apply the same basic answer to Tosus's question, the same framework that he developed earlier, that we need both the exception for people and animals because they can't be learned out from each other. And the way to formulate this now is that the animal doesn't have an actual prohibition of me'ila. The only problem is that animals shouldn't eat hectish items. Now also, the animal doesn't have a right to eat the food that it's working with. There's a mitzvah not to muzzle it. So we would have thought that since the Torah said not to muzzle animals, so that gives permission for the animal to eat the hectish produce. So therefore the Torah had to tell us that we don't allow the animal to eat hectish produce. But that's not going to work for people who differ from animals in two ways. First of all, they do have a prohibition of me'ila. And second of all, they do have a right to eat the food that they're working with. So there we would have thought something totally different, that since this worker has a right to eat the food he's working with, and the prohibition of me'ila is theft of hectish. So in this case, there is no theft because he has a right to the food. So that's why we need a totally different exception to tell us that that's also incorrect, that if he works for the Beisam Mikdash, he loses the right to food. So that's again why we need both an exception for people and animals, because since the equations in each case work so differently, so we wouldn't be able to derive one from the other. And that's why the Torah needs to tell us in both places that they don't eat hectish produce. Now, in the final paragraph, Rab Chaim adds one final point which is very brilliant and ties together a lot of the points he's been discussing throughout. He points out that the way the Rambam formulates the Torah's exception to an animal eating hectish produce is losachsom shor bedisho. You can't muzzle an animal in his produce, daish haro'uilo, which refers to mundane regular produce, so the animal's allowed to eat that, as opposed to hectish produce, which is not fitting for the animal to eat. That's the way the Rambam formulates that. But that's different than the way Rashi formulates it. Rashi explains that the way we're learning this halacha out is because since it says de-show his produce, so that excludes Hektish's produce, which doesn't belong to him. So there's two different ways to derive from this word bid-de-show that it doesn't apply to Hektish, either because Hektish is not fitting for an animal or because Hektish doesn't belong to the owner. Says Rab Chaim, there's a major concern conceptual difference between these two approaches. According to the Rambam, what the Torah is saying is that even though in general there's a rule that you can't muzzle an animal, but when it comes to hectish produce, you are allowed to because it's not fitting for the animal. So the essential problem with an animal eating hectish produce is that it's not fitting for the animal because it's sanctified produce. So the Torah is telling us that the mitzvah of not muzzling an animal doesn't apply in that case. And this all fits in perfectly with the framework Rab Chaim's been developing throughout this piece. Because the conflict in the case of the animal is that on the one hand, there's a mitzvah not to muzzle it. On the other hand, the animal shouldn't be eating sanctified produce. So the Torah resolves this by saying that sanctified produce is an exception from the mitzvah not to muzzle the animal. But that's different than the case of people where the conflict is that on the one hand, the worker has an actual financial right to eat this food. On the other hand, there's a prohibition of me'ila to eat the food. So there the Torah says, kerem re'echa, that the only time that right can be exercised is when they're working in the field of a friend. But hektish is not their friend, so they have a mitzvah to eat, but not a right.
So that's the way the Torah resolves the two cases of the animal and the people, and they're slightly different according to the Rambam, and that's how Rab Chaim's been explaining it throughout. But according to Rashi, they're actually the exact same exception in both cases. Because when the Torah says Biddi show, that the animal has to be able to eat his produce, which excludes produce of hectish. So that's not because the hectish produce is prohibited. It's just that since hectish is not a regularly owned field, it's not included in the entire prohibition of muzzling an animal. So the Torah is basically telling us that hectish is a total exception to the whole mitzvah that the animal and the person can eat what they're working on. Even though that's the rule for a regularly, privately owned field, it does not apply to hectish. Nothing to do with the prohibited status of hectish items. It's just because hectish is the type of ownership where these rules don't apply. So once we say that for the animal, it's clear that the same thing should apply to the people too. Because once we derive from the case of the animal that hectish is not included in the whole mitzvah of not muzzling the animal, so we know that we compare people to animals, so we can apply the same thing to a worker that if they're hired by hectish, hectish doesn't need to feed them. So that's exactly why Tosos does ask this question, and he doesn't answer it the way Rab Chaim did, because Rab Chaim's answer works for the Rambam's understanding of this whole issue. But according to Tosos, who follows Rashi's understanding, so in fact, both of these halachas that exclude the workers and the animals from eating hectish produce are the same thing. So once the Gemara said it with regards to animals, it should be clear that it applies to people too. And that's why Tosos asks his question. So according to the view of Rashi and Tosfos, when the Gemara excluded an animal from eating hectish, it doesn't mean the subtle idea that Rab Chaim suggested that an animal doesn't have a right to eat the produce. It just has a mitzvah not to be muzzled as opposed to the human worker where he actually has a right to the produce, so he has a stronger argument to be able to eat from hektish. It doesn't mean any of that. What the Gemara is saying is that these rules that people and animals are able to eat what they're working with do not apply to hektish. So even if a person has a stronger financial right to the produce they're working with, that's not going to make any difference with regards to hektish because that's exactly what the Torah is saying. They have no right to eat the produce of hektish. So it doesn't matter whether they have a ritual mitzvah to eat the produce or a financial right to eat the produce. In all cases, it doesn't apply when they're working for hektish, so neither the animal or the person is able to eat it. So according to Rashi and Tosos, it's a much simpler, straightforward, consistent idea that hektish is excluded from all of these halachas, whereas according to the Rambam, there's a much broader conceptual framework to try to understand each of the cases of the animal and the person and how they relate with the hektish produce. So this is Rab Chaim's approach to explain the Rambam. The key conceptual points that Rab Chaim develops are, number one, that there's a difference between the person eating the produce versus the animal eating the produce. The person has an actual financial right to the produce, whereas the animal just has a mitzvah. Number two is that the problem with me'ila is that it's theft of hektish, it's gezel hektish, but the problem is not isurin, that the person is using something sanctified. Then there are two more minor conceptual points that Rab Chaim develops. Number one is that when the Torah excludes a worker hired by the Beis HaMikdash from eating hectish, 
from Kerem Re'echa, only your friend's field, not Hektish. So it doesn't mean to say that there's no mitzvah at all for the worker of the Beis HaMikdash to be able to eat, but rather what it's doing is downgrading the worker from having a financial right to the food to just having a mitzvah to be able to eat. So like Rab Chaim said, usually a person has a stronger right to the food than an animal, but when they're working for the Beis HaMikdash, so they have the equivalent mitzvah of an animal, there's a ritual mitzvah for them to be able to eat, but they no longer have a financial right to the food. Similarly, when the Torah excludes hektish from muzzling an animal because of disho, according to the Rambam, what it's saying is that there's no mitzvah not to muzzle the animal because this produce is sanctified hektish produce, so the mitzvah of not muzzling the animal doesn't apply to it. So in all cases, the Rambam understands that these are specific exceptions for hektish because of the sanctity of the produce that the person doesn't have a right to the produce and the animal could be muzzled. So that's why the person and the animal are not able to eat it. As opposed to Rashi and Tosvos who understand the whole thing simpler, that the Torah is saying that hektish is excluded from the whole mitzvah of allowing the worker and the animal to eat because that whole mitzvah to begin with only applies to regularly owned fields. It doesn't apply to working for hektish. So those are some of the key points in Rab Chaim's analysis in this piece. And there's a lot of discussion about the points that Rab Chaim raises in the back of the Or Olam edition of Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim HaLevi, they quote a lot of this, as well as in contemporary Sfarim, there's a lot of points that they discuss at greater length. Particularly regarding this concept, Rab Chaim argues that the problem of Me'ila is that it's Gezal Hektish, it's a financial problem, not Isurin. So there's a lot to say about that. So I'm going to try to go through some of the highlights and key points that come up surrounding some of the issues Rab Chaim raised in this piece. So Rab Chaim's first major conceptual point is that the rule that a worker has to be able to eat is not just a mitzvah, but he actually has a financial right to that food. Now, in the piece in Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim Alevi, so he asks the question that the Gemara uses the phrase, Mishal Shamayim Hu Ochel, that the worker eats from heaven. So that seems to imply that this is just a mitzvah that Hashem commanded the owner to let him eat, but there's no financial right that the owner has. So Rab Chaim explains it away, and he says that all the Gemara means is that he can't can't pass that food along to his family members as if it's a debt, but he does have a financial right to eat himself. But Rab Chaim actually had a bit of a stronger proof for this idea from that Gemara in Bab Metziah. So in the piece that we have in front of us, he does bring a proof to this idea from the fact that it applies also to non-Jews. So that must mean it's not just a mitzvah, but it has to do with financial laws. But there is another proof Rab Chaim had to this from that very Gemara that in this piece he treats as a question, but there's also a proof to his whole idea. And this is quoted by his main student, Rabbi Baruch Ber and Berka Shmuel on Kiddushin Sim in Gimel, as well as by Rabbi Yonah Karpolov and the Yonas Elam, Simen Lamedalet Ostes. They both quote from Rab Chaim this proof. The Gemara says clearly that even according to the view that Mishal Shamayim Hu Ochel, the worker is eating from heaven, he can still negotiate for his wife or adult children. He can negotiate on their behalf that they are not going to eat food and they're going to get paid more instead. So now if we understand
understand this, that it's purely a mitzvah. The owner has to let them eat. So how can the husband negotiate a financial deal on their behalf, which is going to preclude them from doing the mitzvah of eating food? So it must be that there is a financial aspect to this. In other words, there's some value to the fact that they're able to eat. So he's able to negotiate on their behalf because of that. And Rab Chaim also explained why is the Gemara calling this from heaven if it's actually a financial obligation. So he says that it's trying to contrast that with another view that Poel Mishalohu Ochel, that he's eating his own food. And the difference between these two views is whether he actually owns it or he has the right to. It. So according to the view that Paul Mishalohu Ochel, it already belongs to him, it's like any other object that he owns, it's fully his. As opposed to the view Mishal Shamayim Hu Ochel, the Torah said he must be able to eat, so it does have a financial value, but it doesn't belong to him fully yet. So that's the distinction. So this was Rab Chaim's fuller reading of that Gemara in line with his idea that the worker being able to eat food is a financial obligation that the Torah gave him. Now, the second major point of Rab Chaim is that Me'ila is Gezel Hektesh. It's stealing from Hektesh, and it's not Isurin because someone is benefiting from something which is sanctified. Now, this view was fairly popular in Rab Chaim's school amongst his students, and a number of them even discussed this idea without attributing it to Rab Chaim. So either they thought it was obvious, or they came up with it on their own. Either way, a number of them espoused the same idea that Me'ila is Gezel Hektesh. So Rab Rab Chaim's son, Rab Moshe Salavechik, in his Chidushi Agram HaLevi, which is a recently published volume of his Chidushim on the Rambam, so he accepts this idea. Rab Elchanan Wasserman in his Kovetz Shiurim on Psachim Os Kufches, and in Babasra Os Reish Tzadi Tes, and in Kovetz Haaros Simenun Bey, Simenun Gimel. So he also takes this idea. Of course, Rab Baruch Ber, Rab Chaim's close student in Birka Shmuel, Babakama Simen Yodalid, Rab Shimon Shkup in the Sharei Yosher, Shar Gimel, Perek Chav Gimel. So all of them accept this basic idea. Now, in addition to his students, some of Rab Chaim's contemporaries also say a similar idea. So Rab Meir Simcha and Or Sameach, at the beginning of the eighth chapter of Hilchus Macholos Asuros, so he also differentiates Me'ila from other Isurim because Me'ila is a form of Gezel. Now, what's interesting is that in Hilchus Me'ila, at the beginning of Perak Vav, so there the Or Sameach says something which Rab Chaim also touched on. He claims that according to Tosvos, there are two forms of Me'ila either benefiting, enjoying the hectish item, so eating it or enjoying it in some way, or the second type of me'ila is lifting it up and acquiring it and taking it out of the ownership of hektish, even if there's no enjoyment. Now, the Orsameach claims that the Rambam disagrees with that second idea. He does not believe that there's any me'ila without enjoyment because the Rambam never mentions a form of me'ila where someone takes it out of the ownership of hektish. So he thinks that the Rambam disagrees with Tosos on this point and me'ila for the Rambam means that someone is benefiting and enjoying the property of the Beis HaMikdash. So that's how the Or Sameach makes sense of the Rambam's view. Rab Chaim in this piece does touch on the whole issue, but he doesn't say it as sharply in the Rambam. So it's unclear if you would agree with Or Sameach's formulation. And the Chuvis Oneg Yomtov, who is the Rav of Mir, so in Simon Lamed Aleph, he explicitly disagrees with Or Sameach about this. But either way, the fact that the Or Sameach holds within the Rambam that someone 
someone has to benefit in order to violate Me'ila does seem to go against what he said, that it's a form of stealing. Because if it's stealing, then why does someone need to benefit? Even taking it out of the ownership of Hektish should be a violation of Me'ila. So that's a small point within the Orsameach's view. Now, Rav Yosef Engel in the Asvando Raisa, Klal Gimel, so he also discusses this issue at some length, and he has a number of proofs like Rab Chaim that the problem of Me'ila is because of Gezel. One of them is that the Gemara in Bab Basra uses the phrase Gezel Gavoha, stealing from Hashem. So that seems to imply that Me'ila is a form of stealing. And the same phrase is also used when the Gemara is explaining the source for making brachas before eating and enjoying things. So the Gemara quotes two statements, Kol Anyone who benefits from the world without making a bracha is as if they stole from Hashem and the Jewish people. And then the Gemara says the same sentence that anyone who benefits from the world without a bracha is as if they committed me'ila. So again, we see in the language of the Gemara the connection between me'ila and stealing. So those are some cute proofs about this issue from Rabbi Yosef Engel. Now he also discusses the Gemara in Bab Metziah Pezayin that Rab Chaim discussed where it derives from Kerem Re'echa that it excludes that a worker hired by the Beis HaMikdash cannot eat hectish produce. So he begins with the same point that Rab Chaim made. Why would we ever think that this worker could eat hectish and violate Me'ila? So it must be that the problem of Me'ila is Gezel, so therefore it would have been allowed in this case. But if the problem of Me'ila is Isurin, then why should we ever think that it's allowed? So he makes the same point as Rab Chaim, but then then he quotes the Tosvos, which said that since in general we suspend the rules of Gezel for a worker to eat, so we would also suspend the rules of Hektish. And here he's not sure if Tosvos means like the idea that he and Rab Chaim are saying that since Me'ila is a form of Gezel, it would be suspended, or if Tosvos means that all prohibitions would be suspended for the worker to be able to eat. So Rab Chaim seems to accept that reading of Tosvos. Rab Yosef Engel is not clear, but he does say that even if that's what Tosvos means, we could accept the idea that in general, a worker who eats from the owner's produce is violating Gezel, but the Torah suspended the prohibition of Gezel in that case. So whereas Rab Chaim wants to argue very clearly that when the worker eats, there's no Gezel because the Torah allowed him to eat, so it removed the prohibition of stealing, Rabbi Yosef Engel says it's possible that any time a worker eats from the owner's produce, it is Gezel, but the Torah suspended the prohibition of Gezel for the worker to be able to eat. So it's interesting to see how Rab Chaim and Rab Yosef Engel make similar points from this Gemara, but they also have some slightly different assumptions about the whole thing. Now, I'm just going to mention two places where Rab Chaim's students use this idea to answer questions. The first is the Rambam in Hilchus Shofar, Parak Aleph Halacha Gimel, discusses a case where someone blew a shofar, which is an ola. So it's a carbon, it's prohibited to be used. So the Gemara has a discussion if someone used it to fulfill the mitzvah of shofar, whether they fulfilled their mitzvah. So the Rambam rules that they do, and then he gives two reasons for this. First of all, because there's no me'ila when it comes to sounds. So simply blowing something is not a violation of me'ila. And then he adds mitzvahs lav lehenos nitnu. That we don't consider mitzvahs to be a form of physical pleasure in halacha. So the Lecha Mishnah asks why the Rambam needs both of these. And there's a lot of problems with how the Rambam codifies this. But either way, Reb Moshe Salavechik in Chidusha Agram Alevi, as well as the Stipler in Kilos Yaakov Rosh Hashanah Simen Chav Beis. So they both indicate that one of the keys to explaining this Rambam would be 
according to Rab Chaim, that since the prohibition of Me'ila is because of Gezel, so that's why the Rambam needs to deal with two different aspects. It's not enough just to say that there's no physical pleasure from doing the mitzvah because that doesn't solve the problem that he's still stealing. So that's why the Rambam needs to add that since we're dealing with a sound, it's an inanimate object, so it can't be stolen. So anyways, there's a lot more details to this whole discussion, but it's worth noting this is one of the places where Rab Chaim's idea is helpful. In addition, Rab Elchanan in Kovitz Shur in Babasra Osresh Tzaritess, so he discusses a machlokis between Tosvos and the Ramban, whether Me'ila applies to something which was acquired by Hekdish, but the owner never sanctified it. So if Hekdish acquires something on its own, does Me'ila apply? And Rab Elchanan says that this debate would seem to center on Rab Chaim's idea, is Me'ila a form of stealing, in which case it should apply to everything. It doesn't matter whether it was sanctified or not. So long as it belongs to Hektish, Me'ila should apply. Or is it an Isur because this thing is sanctified, in which case it might only apply if something was actually sanctified by the owners. So again, this is another place where Rab Chaim's idea is helpful. Now, Rab Chaim's idea that Me'ila is a form of theft is controversial in the Achronim, and the Ktsos and the Nesivis disagree with it. So we're going to survey now the view of the Ktsos and then the Nesivis, and then we'll come out with three different opinions about this, the Ktsos, the Nesivis, and Rab Chaim. So first to the Ktsos. Rabbi Yosef Engel in the Asmada Oraisa goes through a few places in the Ktsos where he seems to totally disagree with Rab Chaim, and he believes that Me'ila has nothing to do with financial ownership whatsoever. It's not because of theft. It's not because someone is using the property of the Beis HaMikdash, but it's purely because of Isurin. Since this is a sanctified object, there is a prohibition of the Torah against benefiting from it, and if someone uses it, they violated Me'ila. So the Ktsos is totally on the other side of Rab Chaim. It has nothing to do with financial ownership. It has to do with the sanctity of the object, therefore there's an Isar. So the first place he says this is in Shev Shmaitza, Shmaitza Vav Perak Dalid. And his language there is a little different than the phrases we've been using, but he basically says this idea. In addition, he seems to reiterate it in the Sefer Tzosa Choshen. First of all, in Simon Reish Sifka and Aleph, so he says the same idea that if someone didn't sanctify the hektish, even though the Beis HaMikdash acquired it, Me'ila wouldn't apply. So Rabbi Yosef Engel understands this in line with the Ktsos' idea that this is not about financial ownership, it's about the sanctity of the object. And this is the same thing we just said from Rabbi Elchanan, that if it's about Gezel, who owns it, then it doesn't matter whether the person sanctified it or not. So the fact that the Ktsos seems to side with the view that Me'ila only applies if someone's sanctified it indicates that it's not about financial ownership, it's about the sanctity of the object. In addition, the Ktsos and Simen Chavches asks a question, and we'll see in a minute that the way the Nesivis answers it is based on the idea that at least some forms of Me'ila are based on Gezel. So the fact that the Ktsos didn't answer it that way may again indicate his view that he holds this is not about who owns it, it's about the sanctity of the object. So that's the first view against Reb Chaim. Now, the most popular standard mainstream view in this regard is the Nesivos and Simen Chav Ches. He differentiates between Kodshe Mizbeach versus Kodshe Berek Habayis. So Kodshe Mizbeach, which are inherently sanctified, the Nesivos says that if someone benefits from them, the violation is because they benefited from a sanctified object. Whereas Kodshe Berek Habayis, which were not inherently sanctified, they just belonged to the Beis HaMikdash for the upkeep of the building. So there, if someone benefited from them, the prohibition of Me'ila was not because of the sanctity of the object, but it was because they 
stole, they benefited from the property of the Beis HaMikdash, just like if they would steal anyone's property. So the Nesivis comes down in the middle, not fully like the Ktsos, not fully like Rab Chaim. He differentiates that when it comes to the stricter types of Hektish, there the problem of Me'ila is like the Ktsos, because someone is using sanctified items. Whereas with the less strict types of Hektish, so there the problem of Me'ila is like Rab Chaim, because someone is stealing from Hektish. So this is a very popular view. Reb Kiva Eger in his commentary on the Mishnah, Tosus Reb Kiva Eger and Krisus Paragimel Mishnah Dalid. So he quotes a long discussion about this from his brother, Reb Bunim Eger, and he goes with the Nesivis. The Minchas Chinuch also in Mitzvah Kufchav Zion, Ost Zion seems to follow with the Nesivis. And a lot of other Achronim seem to go with the Nesivis on this. The Stipler in Kilos Yaakov, Me'ila Simen Aleph, when he discusses it, so he also just seems to accept the Nesivis. He doesn't even mention Rab Chaim's view on this. So this seems to be the main stream view, this middle position of the Nesivis. Now the Nesivis' proof for this is the Gemara in Krisos Yud Gimel Amad Beis says that if someone eats Nosar, meat of a carbon which is left over after the time it was supposed to be eaten, so they violated Me'ila and they have to pay the fine. On the other hand, the Gemara in Pesach and Chavtes Amad Beis says that if someone eats chametz of Hektish on Pesach, they did not violate Me'ila because there's no value to chametz on Pesach. It can't be used in any way. So anything which has no value, they can't violate Me'ila because they're not getting any benefit from it. So the Nesivis asks if that's the case, Nosar is the same thing because it's prohibited to get any benefit from Nosar. So it has no value. So why if someone benefits from Nosar meat, did they violate Me'ila? So the Nesivis answers the difference is the Chametz is Kadshe Berek Habayis, whereas the Nosar is Kadshe Mizbeach. So when it comes to Kadshe Mizbeach, the problem is inherently that someone used something sanctified. So it doesn't matter whether it has any value. So even though the Nosar does not have any value, there's still a problem of Me'ila because it was sanctified as Kadshe Mizbeach. As opposed to the Chametz, which is Kadshe Berek Habayis, so there the problem is that they're stealing from heaven. So if there's no value to this chametz because it's Pesach, so they can't violate Me'ila because they didn't steal anything of value. So according to the Nesivis, this contradiction between the Gemara and Krisus versus Psachim indicates, like he's saying, that there's a difference between Kodshe Berek versus Kodshe Mizbeach. Now the Minchas Chinuch and Rabunim Eger point out that the Nesivis is saying exactly what the Tosos Yeshanim on the margin of Krisus Yud Gimel Amad Beis, so on the bottom of our Gemaras, they print this Tosos and he says exactly like the Nesivis. So this approach is not original to the Nesivis, but it's in the Tosos Yishanim in Krisus Yud Gimel Amad Beis. Now, it's just interesting to note for those who listened to our previous recording, both the Briskerov and Rab Moshe Salavechik both come to the same conclusion as the Tosos Yishanim and the Nesivis, that the reason Chametz on Pesach doesn't have Me'ila in the Gemara and Pesachim is because it has no value, but they arrive there because of something that Rab Chaim in the previous piece said. So just interesting to note that all these commentators get to the same place, but they're getting there for two different reasons. So these are basically the three major views with whether the problem of Me'ila is Gezel Hektish, it's a form of theft from the Beis HaMikdash, or it's a problem of Isurin benefiting from sanctified items. The Ktsos holds that it's always a problem of Isurin, Rab Chaim holds that it's always a problem of Gezel, and the Nesivis holds in the middle that Kodshe Berek are a problem of Gezel, Kodshe Mizbeach are a problem of Isurin.